I'm McKinney Smith. After going through a divorce, my sister passing away, experiencing narcissistic abuse, and some significant health scares, I realized through sharing my story that I wasn't alone in my suffering. Suffering, subjective distress generated by the experience of being out of balance. In a deep dive to holistically heal mind, body, and soul is where I discovered peace, clarity, and connection. It is impossible to be truly wise without some real-life hardship, and we cannot develop post-traumatic wisdom without making it through, and most importantly, through it together. Social connection builds resilience, and resilience helps create post-traumatic wisdom, and that wisdom leads to hope. Hope for you and others witnessing and participating in your healing, and hope for your community. A healthy community is a healing community, and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. Thank you for joining us on the Heal Her podcast, H-E-A-L, Honor, Elevate, and Love Her podcast formerly known as the Iwaka My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show globally, where we have conversations with extraordinary women on their journey towards wholeness and harmony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. As a certified mindset coach guiding women towards peace, clarity, and connection within, supporting the direction of the system toward wholeness, my goal here is to help you thrive. Dr. Christy Doyle-Thomas is a medical neuroscientist and professor in Toronto, Canada. She's an expert in medical conditions that affect the brain and mental health. She's received several prestigious fellowships, including fellowships from the Canadian Institute of Health Research and the Networks of Centers of Excellence of Canada. Dr. Christie's research has been published in numerous high-impact peer-reviewed journals and presented nationally and internationally to both academic and non-academic audiences. Dr. Christie is passionate about helping people maximize their potential as it relates to understanding how the brain works. She's committed to translating scientific research into meaningful information that can help communities live healthy, mindful lives. She's a perfect guest for the show. So please welcome Dr. Chrissy. Thank you so much for having me, McKinney. (laughs) Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story, your expertise and your journey with us. Like I was saying to you before we started recording, you come very highly recommended. A very close friend of mine cannot stop talking about you and the information that you share. So I'm just honored that you're sharing your knowledge and, and space with us today. I really appreciate the invitation. I think it's going to be great. I'm excited. Thank you. (laughs) You're most welcome. So before I get into like, I don't know, all my formal questions about your upbringing, you know, I wanted to first talk about how you got into your field. If you could give us, you know, the Coles Notes or for Americans or Cliff Notes version (laughs) of your story. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. So um, as you as you shared, I'm a medical neuroscientist. And what I do is I kind of study how the brain um, is impacted by different health conditions, and particularly mental health conditions. So I migrated with my family uh, from, from Trinidad to Canada when I was nine years old. So back in uh, 1990. And um, At the time, my family was dealing with um, a diagnosis of my younger sister. So my sister got a diagnosis that we were still trying to figure out, what is this? What does it all mean? Um, And we just didn't have the information. And at the time, we were a very young uh, migrant family to Canada. We were navigating the healthcare system, very scary place for a new newcomer family. And like many families, right, we had the pressure of coping, putting on a brave face, my parents kind of dealing with the challenging emotional experience of having a child that requires medical attention in a really big country like Canada. <laughs> so that was really motivating to me. I, I, am a, I am an introspective person and I kind of sense what's going on in my environment. And then it it kind of, I think about it deeply. And for me, um, even at a very young age, kind of witnessing the dynamic 
within my family, my parents supporting my sister, you know, having to spend a whole bunch of time at Sick Kids Hospital, which is like a pediatric hospital here in Toronto. Um, I was like, I need to know more. I need to know more about the brain. I need to know more about, you know, health conditions so that I could help my family. Now, my sister is seven years younger than me. So there was always so much helping I could have done when I was, you know, <laughs> growing up and she was, you know, uh, coming up after me. But my motivation was always to get into the field, to understand you know, the unique experience that families experience, one with the diagnosis, and then with just coping emotionally with all of that. And then first to help my family, but then also to kind of help other families who might be experiencing the same thing. At the time of my sister's diagnosis, the internet was super new. So there was nothing there. Like you can Google <laughs> it and there was no information, not like now. Um, so, you know, it was a really a scary space to be navigating when you didn't have the information. So that was a big motivating factor. And then I kind of never looked back because, uh, you know, I, I like to ask questions and to de delve into things. So I kind of feel like my life brought me to something that I naturally am inclined to do, which is research. Mm -hmm. And uh, for that reason, I kind of never left research. I just stuck it out and got eventually my PhD. And uh, now I'm what my intention and my hope and my platform is based on is just helping families understand these diagnoses and understanding um, how how to cope and how what it means holistically for their life. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, okay, so here's what I love. Um, first, I feel like between the, you know, 200 plus women that I've interviewed on the podcast and, you know, not even including the people that I've interviewed on, on social and other platforms, but there's a huge commonality in, in the stories of how you get into your field or your passion. So I strongly believe that our pain births our purpose. So there's always something in our life that causes us to be motivated to go and be passionate about the things that we're passionate about. So hearing that, you know, you had a family member that had a medical diagnosis that sparked your interest in wanting to know more and get into this field. So that I love. And then too, um, I'm a huge fan of anyone who is in the neuroscience field. Um, I think I should probably do my research on, on how to get into it myself because I'm obsessed with the information. <laughs> So I love what you do and how you focus on the mental health aspect of it. So, you know, because the show is focused on our healing journey, I, I think before we get into digging deeper into, I guess, your thought process and your expertise on how you got there, I would love to know, like, what did you want to be as a little girl before you got this passion to be a neuroscientist? And like, what did your parents want you to be? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, great question. I wanted to be a pediatrician. And I do think that, you know, my lived experience had a lot to do with that. Um, again, my sister, um, seven years younger than me, at the time of me understanding what this all means, I was nine years old, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking I have two boys now, a 14-year-old and a nine-year-old. And I'm thinking my nine-year-old right now could be thinking about what he wants to do <laughs> because of, you know, my family's experience. So at the time, I think witnessing everything, I was, my heart was set on being a pediatrician. And uh, that was my intention. And then I went to university and I took a psych course and it happened to be intro to the brain. And then I never looked back. I was like, no, forget, forget <laughs> pediatrics. This is what I want to do. I think I, I left that course with an A plus. Like I was just soaking in the information and everything made sense to me. Just the way that we study the brain, that it affects behavior and all these kinds of things. Just I, I, I just didn't turn back after that point. So it became, you know, my parents, my mom has this joke that she says, she used to sing this rhyme to me, Dr. Chrissy, Dr. Chrissy, your mom's in the room or on the phone, Dr. Chrissy, Dr. Chrissy, your mom's on the phone. And she used to like sing that to me because she knew that I wanted to be a doctor from very young. <laughs> so when I did get my PhD, um, she uh, did sing that back to me as like, a reminder of, listen, I've been telling you this since you were a little girl. So it's really interesting. I think my heart was always set on something within the medical field, pediatrics to begin with. But when I got to the brain, studying the brain, there was no turning back. It was just what I think I was meant to do. 
I love it. I, and I, I love how, you know, that was being affirmed to you and I guess declared over you constantly, you know, from before you actually became a doctor. I love that. And yeah, I absolutely. love, I, I love that you wanted to be in the medical field as a child and the world didn't deter you from that or alter that. How do I say this? You know, because as, as kids, it's very common for us to use our imagination and fantasize. But then as we get older, we're told to be realistic and society kind of limits our beliefs, but you still held on to that, but you just found your niche within that. I I love hearing that. I love yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? It's, it's not always easy, right? Everyone has their paths and they have mm-hmm. their challenges. So I don't want to make it sound like I wanted to become a doctor and it was like I snapped my fingers and it happened. No, life happened, right? And there are definitely things I had to cope with along the way um, to really make it in this field. So I just want to put that out there for anyone who's listening. It's not as easy as I'm making it sound. You know what? I think it's never as easy as we make it sound. And I think I was saying to you before we started recording, you know, people have this misconception of, you know, I guess my life even being easy because of the adversities that I've overcome and I'm still, you know, sharing publicly, I'm still showing up and people have no idea until I've gone through that experience, healed through it until I can talk about it. And they're like, oh, we had no idea (laughs) because we unintentionally make it look easy. It's not that we're trying to make it easy, but I, I feel like, and you know, you're the medical expert, so you tell me, but I feel like when we're in survival mode, like we're just so focused on like, just trying to survive, like to get to the next step, you know, it's not about trying to make it look a certain way or any of those things. Yeah, absolutely. That survival mode thing is a very powerful thing, right? It's interesting. Um, I, I recently did a talk on grief and the brain and we talked about survival mode because folks sometimes understand why can't I think straight? Why why can't I just get up and do the things that I normally do when I'm grieving? And it's because the brain is in survival mode, and that's a very different, you know, system that is activating the brain than when we are resting, digesting, relaxing, going through life. You know, our fair flight and freeze response is activated and only things that are essential to surviving is actually kicking in at that time. So, you know, it's it's interesting when we're in survival mode, life stands still and we're mm-hmm. just trying to stay alive yeah. emotionally, <laughs> physically in all kinds of ways. So absolutely, there's a difference there. I, I love that you brought that up because I that was one thing that I did want to ask you because I know that there's a lot of women that are listening that feel stuck and they don't know what to do. And whether that be, you know, grieving, you know, I guess because of the pandemic, grieving the loss of a loved one, grieving from a relationship, grieving, you know, losing a job or the life that they thought they knew. Like, you know, there's so many forms of grief, but like, what advice would you give to a woman that's listening right now that feels stuck? Like, what should she do? What can she do? Yeah, absolutely. And my advice there would be to give give yourself time, right? It's interesting because when we talk about grief, and, and we could experience grief for a number of reasons, because we've lost a loved one, but also because we've lost opportunities, we've lost mm-hmm. a job, you know, we've lost a love of our life. Like there are things that can make us go into a state of grief. And interestingly, some schools of thought um, kind of say, when you're grieving, it's what happens in the brain is is analogous to something like a brain injury. Mm. And the same way you need to rest a bum knee when you bruise your knee or you hit your knee or you roll your ankle and give your those parts of your body time to rest. It's the same way the brain is part of the body. And when it's going through a traumatic experience, it needs time to rest to kind of bring down that fight, flight, freeze response that we tend to get when when things are a little bit out of control and we feel like, you know, it's chaotic, I can't find order, um, to bring that response down and to get those cognitive processes that aren't there when we're in fight, flight, freeze, uh, to come back online through finding meaning and through finding a, a way to release some of those emotional responses. So the same way we might need time to heal a, a, a turned ankle, it's the same way when we're going through something that's affecting us 
very deeply and emotionally, we need to give the brain time to rest and to make sense of everything so that then we can come back to typical uh, behaviors and, and and reasoning and ways of coping. So be patient with yourself and it's okay. We're not superheroes, we're not machines, right? Mm-hmm. Every Every part of our body needs some tender loving care and that includes our brain. Although we can't see it, um, it can be affected the same way you roll your ankle. The brain can be affected by emotional situations in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that you spoke about rest because I feel like, okay, so at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a huge part of the population that was so focused on the hustle mentality, like go, go, go. And their thought process was like, you need to use this time, you know, and if you're not working, then you're wasting time, blah, blah, blah. But I had the opposite thought process where I'm like, "Mm, actually, it's probably a sign that we need rest. (laughs) You know, this is a time because we haven't had the ability to rest because we've been pushing so hard, but do what works for you, what your body needs. And I know that you recently posted about the brain and sleep. So mm-hmm. can you can you talk about the importance of sleep and our mental health and, and how it affects our healing? Yeah, you know what? Sleep is so important. And I think it's vastly under underestimated the power of sleep. Like when we think about sleep, it actually has a housekeeping role in the brain. And when you think about when you're cleaning your house and you're like sweeping away the dust or whatever, you're clearing the path, right? It's the same thing that sleep does for the brain. It actually, when we're sleeping, helps to remove toxins. So if we don't allow ourselves to sleep, there is a buildup of toxins that can affect our ability to think logically, that can affect our memory that can affect our ability to reason and manage, you know, the stressors of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so sleep becomes important. And I think we we sense it. I think when we don't sleep, we get agitated and we can't like think straight and every little thing sets us off. And that's your brain telling you, oh, you need to remove some toxins, go sleep, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then when you rest and you wake up, you're like, okay, I feel rested. I think I can cope better. I think I can think straight. And those things that we say after we rest, um, it's true impact of the brain cleaning away toxins. So we have to allow ourselves that ability to sleep so that our brain can do what it needs to do to maintain itself. Our brain is actually remarkably active while we're sleeping. We might not be aware of it, right? Because our body is resting, but there are processes that kick in when we're sleeping to help with the maintenance of the brain, the removal of toxins and the solidifying of memory and learning. So it's really important that folks prioritize sleep and you know, everyone's sleep pattern is very different. And as we get older, it kind of gets a little bit wonky, but, and medications can affect it, all these kinds of things. But as much as it's good for you, just figure out the period of time that you need to sleep to feel most rested, potentially, Mm -hmm. you know, seven to nine hours or so. Um, and allow yourself that time because it's important for your wellness and it's important for you to be the most effective you when you're awake. Mm-hmm. See, I'm I'm feeling that right now. Like when before we started recording, and I said to you, I'm I'm experiencing the sleep deprivation of having an eight week old puppy, and like I feel on on top of feeling exhausted, like I feel the brain fog. I feel myself irritable. I feel myself being short with the kids. I feel myself like being emotionally affected by everything my partner says, whether it's it's good or bad. Like I I feel it because I'm tired and I know that I'm tired because I've already been someone who's been spending the last couple of years focused on my healing and self-care. And through my Fitbit, I know that I need minimum seven hours and 20 minutes of sleep in order for me to be effective. And I'm not getting that right now. (laughs) Oh, no. I feel it. (laughs) I get it. I get it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Sleep is important. (laughs) Absolutely. Sleep is important, but I know laughter is also important to our healing. And I'm someone like, I have friends that used to say that I used to laugh during the most awkward times, but I'm like, to me, it's funny. (laughs) You know, if I embarrass myself, I will laugh. If someone says something and I'm feeling shy, I will laugh. I I don't know. I just, I laugh because I just love to laugh. So (laughs) I would love if you could speak to the importance of laughter in our healing. (laughs) 
Definitely. I can do that. You know, and the thing, it's really interesting because the things that our body wants to do naturally, we kind of don't appreciate how mm-hmm. healing it can be and how much science and, and, and biological changes happen in our brain and our body when we do the natural things like laughing, like hugging someone, right? Like sleeping, like all of these things um, that we naturally do, we kind of miss that they actually have very powerful impacts on the brain. Um, And laughter is one of them. Laughter releases a brain chemical called endorphins. It's the same chemical that's released after you work out and you feel real good, you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Laughter is one of those ways that we can also release endorphins. And what's amazing about that is that endorphins are natural painkillers. So they bring about a sense of happiness. They bring about a sense of I'm no longer feeling pain and euphoria. And it also helps to release some of our happy brain chemicals. Like that's what we talk about in, in pop culture, right? In, in in science, it's more like, you know, scientific than that. But it may, it means the same thing. It releases those happy brain chemicals. Serotonin is a brain chemical that regulates our mood. And on winter days like this, when it's dark outside, you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of serotonin production is, is affected. So laughter brings about serotonin to help to boost our mood, right? It also has a very, a very similar impact to some antidepressant uh, medication, right? Because of the impact of activating serotonin in our brain. So things that we do, laughter, like laughing and hugging and talking with a friend, all of these things have powerful impacts on our brain and we should definitely prioritize them. So if you feel like you're having like a downtime, get on the phone with a good friend and have a good laugh or watch Mm -hmm. a comedic show or do something that just brings out that joy in you because it does activate chemicals in your brain that can help to stabilize your mood and even boost your mood. Okay. So that, that I love. Like I said, I, I love to laugh sometimes at the most inappropriate times, <laughs> but <Okay. laughs> what, what are some other things aside from laughing <laughs> that people can do to boost their mood? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, laughing's a good one. So I'm happy that we touched on that. <laughs> the other thing that is really impactful, and I, and I, I mentioned it just now, is talking with friends. It's having a connection to community, whatever that means. Some people go to church, that's their connection with community. Some people just have a circle of friends that are trusted, that love them, that are authentic friendships, right? Some folks have a partner in their life that that they value that connection. Being connected in community also activates brain chemicals in our brain. One in particular is oxytocin. And we call oxytocin our love brain chemical. It gives us all the like the, the the feelings on the inside. And that helps to, again, boost our mood. And it's really important. They find that, you know, folks, especially like older individuals who are living in nursing homes, for example, they do a lot better if they have a friend that comes to visit or mm-hmm. if they have an opportunity for community than if they're left alone, right? Yeah. It's because that community and that connection is activating chemicals in their brain that helps with mood stabilizing and mood boosting and connectedness. Oxytocin is one of those brain chemicals that are also activated when a mom is nursing her baby, right? It creates that connection. That's the same chemical that's activated when you have the support of a good friend. And that's why when folks are going through a tough time and they have the benefit of community, they get through a lot easier and better than if they have no one, right? Right. So community is important. And it's not only important because it's cliche, it's important because it affects your brain. (laughs) So definitely, I think, you know, that's one thing that we can do is, is create a community around you, people that trust and love you that you can rely on and connect with. So that's definitely something that will help boost your mood. Other things is like exercising. Oh my goodness, exercising. Not only does it release endorphins, but it actually readies the brain uh, to create new brain cells. It, Mm. It actually has an impact on something called neurogenesis, neuro meaning brain or nervous system and genesis meaning beginning. So the ability to grow new brain cells. So exercising is very powerful for your brain in terms of wellness just getting outside, even in the winter months, you know, (laughs) just being part of nature. 
also has a lot of chemical effects, a mood boosting, sleep enhancing, you know, everything uh, effects on our body when we can just get outside and ground ourselves in the sand or in the snow or touching a rock or seeing water, all those kinds of things. And the list goes on and on and on. I can keep talking forever, <laughs> but I'll stop there for now. But those are just some of the great things. Oh, well, one more thing. I have to say this because it's really important, eating well. And I'll say this because I've been talking a lot about brain chemicals. Our chemicals have to come from somewhere. They have to be made from something and they're made from our food. So the things that we eat gets broken down and it becomes the the constructs which are used to synthesize the chemicals in our brain. So it's very important that we eat healthy stuff. And if you're feeling like, for example, I was really stressed out in one of my jobs and I developed a gluten allergy and a sensitivity to dairy. And mm-hmm. those foods, yes, and those foods were not helping me to properly create the chemicals that my brain needed to boost my mood. So although I had a, a physical allergic reaction, it was also bringing on anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and all those things, some of which was linked to the situation, but some of which was, was linked to the food, right? So we have to um, not not underestimate the impact of what we're eating and how it affects mood, especially serotonin, which is one I'm talking forever, but this is my thing. No, I'm I love sorry. it. Keep talking. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm like a, a kid, like sitting <laughs> in front of the TV, like a cartoon that's like, oh, I can't. I tell you, you, you should never invite me for these kinds <laughs> of things because then I just keep talking. <laughs> When we talk about serotonin, though, that's one of those, you know, mood boosting, happy brain chemicals. 90% of our serotonin that the brain uses is made in our gut. So you can just imagine how your food impacts the synthesis of serotonin. And if and if not enough is getting synthesized, your mood's going to be impacted because your, your brain is not going to have enough serotonin to be used. And they call it the gut-brain interaction, right? So it's a really um, you know, powerful thing to be aware that what you eat can impact your brain and your wellness. Um, and it's more than just being physically healthy, everything from the neck down. It does impact your brain as well. I like I said, I'm I'm sitting here like overexcited because now my brain, like all these things are firing in my brain because I want to ask like a million questions. <laughs> we only have so much time. <laughs> okay. Um, let me start with, um, I want to unpack some of what you said. So you talked about the importance of community. Um, so there's a, uh, actually I have it right here. Uh, it's called what happened to you by Dr. Bruce Perry and, and Oprah. Uh, when I read that book and they were talking about uh, the importance of community and, it opened up my mind, I'm going to say even more, because as an introvert, I could be by myself all the time and be good. <laughs> um, but I, I knew prior to reading that book that, you know, we're wired for connection. And with the pandemic and everyone um, being forced to isolate, it definitely affected a lot of people's mental health and triggered some things because when we're isolated, it can be detrimental, like we can actually die. So when I read that book, and it was talking about like, a lot of, uh, I guess, indigenous communities and um, African tribes, how, you know, they may not have had access to traditional healing uh, methods, but how the sense of community actually helped them to heal just as much as, as therapy would. And I think that we underestimate community. I feel like, and like I said, with me being an introvert, as much as I love my alone time, I schedule time to be with my girlfriends because I know how important that is. And I used to be someone that was going to church twice a week before the pandemic. Like I understand the importance of community, but I, I want to emphasize that to the people that are listening, because I feel like there are so many people on their healing journey that choose to isolate themselves or, you know, not even sometimes choose. It's like they're, they're trying to protect themselves, but they're creating such a heavy boundary that they isolate themselves. Like there's so many negative effects to isolating yourself. So I just wanted to emphasize what you said about community. Like it's so, so, so important. I also wanted something in there. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And, you know, I think it's very, very important to healing. And sometimes folks isolate because 
They don't want to, they don't want the advice or they're afraid of how they might look or be perceived by others if they're dealing with something that, you know, potentially is negative. And, you know, that's the importance of getting people that trust and love you next, like, you know, surrounding mm -hmm. you. We're not saying to go create community for the sake of community by going out and, and partying because that's, that's not community. Community right. is <laughs> connecting to someone authentically where someone can love and support you in a way that feels good to you. And if you're within that, you know, uh, circle of trusted individuals and you feel that like right now I just need to sit here, that's okay. You still get the impact of oxytocin and you can tell your loved one, you know, I just need to sit here right now. Can you just sit with me? That mm -hmm. would activate oxytocin just as much as talking it through, right? Yeah. If you say to your, to your loved one, you know what, I just want to talk I just want to hear myself speaking. I don't want any advice. I trust that the people that loves you will respect that and allow you that space to just be connected in that moment in a way that you need to be connected. And all of that still impacts that oxytocin in the brain. So we're not talking about like, you know, you have to engage and you have to hear what they have to say and you have to no, no. It's just a matter of being connected. If we think of sports teams, right? The high fives you see, the slaps mm -hmm. on the bums, the like, you know, the hugging and the, that's oxytocin. That's encouraging a team dynamic and a connectiveness that helps with that team do a task together. Mm -hmm. And it's the same way within our lives that connection works well for the brain. But don't feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to connect. And now I have to hear what they have to say. <laughs> no, just tell them I don't I don't want to hear right now, but I just need you to be next to me. And that should be enough. I love it. And OK, so now now I'm asking a personal question because I feel like going through my season of healing and understanding that I actually prefer to be alone, but I schedule in time to be around people that I feel safe with. With everything that, you know, with the pandemic, people, places starting to open up and events. And I just feel very inclined to say, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to be around all that energy. I don't think I have the capacity. Is that a bad thing? No, because I'm the exact same way. Okay. <laughs> I say I say no, because I am the exact same way. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 you know what, you have to find something that feels right for you right? You might want to connect with someone on the couch with you watching TV. That's connecting, right? Mm -hmm. You might want to connect not going to a restaurant, a crowded restaurant, loud and boisterous. You might just want to hang out for a walk with your dog, have, have a friend come walk your dogs with you, mm -hmm. right? That's connection. So we don't have to look at connecting as something that has a blueprint for how it needs to be done. It's just a way that you can be with another human. Mm -hmm. period right mm -hmm. um and see and that could be sitting on the couch with your partner that's enough connection yeah. right there or giving your kids a hug that's connecting so connecting could look differently for different people and you just have to do something that feels authentic and 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 enjoyable to you it, there's no blueprint in what this needs to look like and i am an introvert too i prefer my alone time <laughs> But some connections, I have this one very, very good friend. She happens to be my sister-in-law. When I'm connected with her, our conversations are so rejuvenating to me mm -hmm. and so empowering. And it gives me time to reflect and think through what's happening in my life and get the insight of a trusted other. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And that connection I value. Although I'm an introvert, I can name maybe one person. I, I was going to say two. <laughs> But I'll say what other person, you know, that that I need to bring that on. And that's, of course, outside of my my husband and my kids and all and, and all that kind of stuff. But connection just needs to look how it how it looks like, you know, authentically to you. Even us introverts, we just need we need to connect with human beings because our brain is wired for that connection. Yes. But it has to feel empowering to you. It can't feel like a chore or well that you're not getting the impact you need. Perfect. Thank you. You just helped confirm or affirm for me what I needed to hear because I feel like, and you mentioned in the beginning, you know, when you're talking about your childhood that you've always been introspective. So I, I kind of sensed from the beginning that you were an introvert as well. And I, 
I think it's interesting how I want to say we've kind of broken society's perception of an introvert because people assume, and I feel like it's also based on a misconception or misunderstanding of what an introvert actually is, but they'll say, well, you know, you're public on social media or you're making videos online and just assuming that we are not introverts because we've crossed lines that they feel are not within the boundaries of an introvert. Um, and now I totally forgot my point in my question, but okay. So I can't remember that. So I'm just going to, um, <laughs> I wanted to unpack more of what you said before. So let's say someone is not, and I don't want to say not a gym person because we all can be if we wanted to, but let's say that that's not their preference. Mm-hmm. Aside from, you know, walking outside or, you know, jogging in your area, are there any other ways to get exercise to boost your mood that would still be effective and i guess in that i'm partially asking like is sex included (laughs) (laughs) okay just ask it then (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) anything that raises your heart (laughs) okay your heart will work it will work. It will work. But you know what? I'm I'm not at, like I'm not very excited about the gym either. Um, but even things, you know, aerobic exercise, anything that again raises your heartbeat, um, it's it, it's good for the brain. And and the thing about sex that's really that's really um, well, there are many things that are good. But like I'm just saying to you that <laughs> in terms of the chemicals, it's also another oxytocin connection, right? So although it although it helps on the exercise bit. Um, there's also that oxytocin connection where there's a connectedness with your partner. Uh, so it has a number of, of advantageous effects on the brain. When we're talking about exercising, if you don't want to do the aerobics, the high intensity stuff, even walking for 20 minutes, you know, can, can it, there is science, there's research that shows walking for 20 minutes a day or five times a week um, lowers your risk of developing dementia. Right. And and cognitive decline. And the reason for this is, again, once our body starts to exercise in some capacity, it's readying the brain to uh, support uh, brain cell function. Right. And also the creation of new brain cells. So just anything that just gets your heart rate going a little bit more could be advantageous to the brain and creating that neurogenesis that is needed to support brain function um, and brain growth, a brain cell growth and, and maintenance. So yeah, just get okay. your heart rate up. Okay. So now, now I have a two part question based on what you just said. So, okay. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was, I guess at also the beginning of a healing journey from a traumatic uh, experience that I had. So I implemented taking daily walks outside for minimum one hour. Like I was trying to get my 10,000 steps and I really fell in love with nature walks, conservation trails and stuff like walking along the shores of the water, stuff like that. So I felt the difference. Okay. So I'll go with the second part of the question since I can't remember the first, Um, when you said the benefits um, of raising your heartbeat and any form of exercise, I also uh, struggle with anxiety. Like I was diagnosed and everything, but I had a speaking engagement. um, So I'm going to use this particular example. So I had a speaking engagement in September and I was really excited about the experience, but it was my first time back on a physical stage in three years. And right before I went on stage, my heart rate had increased to like 156 or something like that. And I was like, "Um, (laughs) should I be going to the hospital or should I still be going on stage? (laughs) My anxiety was through the roof. So my question now is, if raising the heartbeat is like, cause you were talking about the exercise piece and how it affects the brain, but what about if it's from anxiety? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a different situation and a great question, right? So when we talk about anxiety, that's a fear response. So then we're into survival mode, right? And again, that's the different system of the brain um, that is activated in that time. It's driven most by a, a, a part of the brain called the amygdala. And that's a small part in the primitive part of the brain that is fear driven. Mm -hmm. And when that is activated, it's um, kind of starts a chain reaction in the body and activates a system that is responsible for fight, flight or freeze. I know those those 
You know, those words might sound familiar to you. And it's the same system that is activated, like when we see a lion. Like if we if we encounter a lion or a snake, <laughs> that fair response is the same response we get, like if we're going to public speak and, and speak on a stage and, and all those kinds of things for those who aren't comfortable public speaking in the same way. So when we're in that situation, like uh, an increased heart rate, becomes problematic, right? Okay. And what we have to then try to do is calm down that system by activating the other system. So we have a sympathetic system and we have a parasympathetic system. And the sympathetic system is that fight, flight, freeze. Parasympathetic is rest and digest, you know, all these little clever things, you know, that we try to give ourselves to help us remember what happens in the body and the brain, right? Um, And how we can do that is through deep breathing. So when we provide in deep breathing more oxygen to the brain, we're actually releasing that, we're we're activating the opposing system, the parasympathetic system, the rest, the digest, the the bring that that, um, resting system on. And the interesting thing in the body is the parasympathetic and sympathetic system cannot be active at the same time. So if one is active, the other is is silent. If the other one comes on, the other one becomes silent. So if we're anxious, that's why things like mindfulness works. That's why things like deep breathing works, visualization works. All of these things work to put us back into control of our body in that moment and activate the parasympathetic rest system. Because if that system is activated, the anxiety would kind of subside. It's the opposite system um, and it won't be able to be active at the same time. Now, some individuals have clinical levels of anxiety and this kind of simplistic approach might not work for those individuals, right? So I want listeners to take everything I say with a grain of salt. It it, it will work differently for different people. Um, But for those folks who do not have clinical anxiety and they just need to cope in the moment with an anxiety provoking experience, deep breathing, finding a quiet space where you can just ground yourself so that you can start by doing these things, activating your parasympathetic system, that system that helps your body to rest and calm down and bring on those cognitive processes again, that would be uh, beneficial to you. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. I will keep that in mind for future. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like asking my girlfriend, I had a girlfriend there as, as my support system. And I was like, um, should we be going to the hospital right now? I don't know. This doesn't, this doesn't feel right. But <laughs> yeah, but, um, you, you also spoke about the importance of, of food, um, mm-hmm. you know, affecting our mental health, what we eat. And like you, and the, this was actually very recent for me. I'm going to say after I hit 40, um, where my body was rejecting gluten and dairy. And those were like two of my favorite foods. Like I love bread, rice, pasta, milk, ice cream, all of those things that I can no longer have. <laughs> but I wanted to also ask about water because obviously majority of, of us is made up of, of water. How does that affect our mental health? Yeah, drinking water is important. And the reason why is because, as you said, a lot of our body relies on water, right, to function. And that includes our brain. Now, I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's like 75% or more Mm -hmm. uh, of our brain is made up of water. And we have something in our brain called the cerebral spinal fluid. And what that is, it just flows through the brain. It's a cushion. So like if we get in an accident and we hit our head, it creates some of that shock absorption so that our brain does not bang against the skull and create damage. It also flows through the brain. We have ventricles, right? So we have little channels that run through the brain. And what that helps to do is to remove toxins and also bring in nutrients. So water in the brain is very important. This cerebral spinal fluid, it's not, it's just not pure water, but like, you know, (laughs) um, it's there. So when we don't drink enough water and the supply is low, we can, it could affect our mood. It could affect our ability to think straight. We can get headaches, right? Like what you might have when, when I have a headache, sometimes, you know, my mom says, go drink a glass of water. I'm like, oh yeah, I should have known that. Let me go drink some water. Like, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? like those kinds of things, it's because we might be dehydrated. The brain might just be lacking water. 
So it's important that we remember as much as we have to eat well, that we also have to get a steady supply of water because our body relies on it and our brain relies on it to remove toxins, to bring in nutrients and also to hydrate all the functions that need, you know, um, its support to work as it should. So it's important. Remember to drink water. Yes. Yeah. Part of my self-care routine um, the last couple of years on top of my daily walks outside has been drinking enough water. And I bought this one gallon water bottle. But of course, my bladder was like not trying to have that. So I always just have (laughs) a cup on my desk. So I remember to hydrate. Absolutely. I feel like I need to have you on for like multiple episodes because my brain is now firing with all these questions now that I feel awake, but I want to respect your time. (laughs) So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they can stay connected with you online to learn more about you and from you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for that. This is really fun. I I can go on longer too. That's the thing about me. Once you get me talking, it's like, can she shut up? Um, I am on Instagram. That's the only place I do have handles on on a number of different platforms. But the only place I I really am consistently is Instagram. And my handle there is dr.krissy.phd. So Dr. Chrissy PhD. And there I, I try to be like, you know, post consistently, I just really share kind of tips to maintain brain health that are wellness based. So I am really I have, um, I have a big desire to help support wellness in our community. So tips that are brain based that will help with wellness and mental health. Um, and I just I hope that you know, you find something there that's that's helpful to you. I also have a website, but that's more if you want to engage me for, for, for business purposes, right? So for a talk, or for um, a workshop or anything like that. So yeah, and that website is at drchristy.com. The whole thing is spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-K-R-I-S-S-Y.com. Gotcha. So I will definitely have those links in the detailed section of the episode below so that they don't have to search too far. They can just click and connect with you directly. Thank you. You're welcome. So the final segment of the show, kind of like a rapid fire. And I just ask you a couple of, quick reflection questions and you just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. All right. So what's the first thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do at night? The first thing I do in the morning. Oh, this is really bad. Grab my (laughs) phone. Really bad. I do not suggest this for anyone. But that is that is honestly the first thing I do in the morning. Okay. Um, the last thing I do is well, I grab my phone to check my emails to check if this, the kids, you know, have anything outstanding for school. All those kinds of like logistical things to get my day started. Uh, the last thing I do at night is something that just calms my body down. So whether it is reading a chapter in a book, uh, having a shower you know, just quiet time, you know, in my room with my partner, like that kind of thing. So I just need to decompress from the day. So it's not with my phone, but I do start the day with my phone. That's really bad. Everybody who knows me, don't do that. Do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. Oh, no, that's awful. Um, Okay, what is one thing that most people don't know about you? Gosh, that I don't like to exercise, although exercising is good for you. (laughs) Yes, but I do try to stay active because I know that it's good for your brain, but it's something that takes a little bit of effort to get off the couch. Um, But it is very advantageous that I get the courage to do it, right? Uh, Because I know it's, it's, it's good for my brain. Yes. Okay. What's been the biggest surprise that you've had in this past year? And why do you think that is? My biggest surprise is that... And it's not really a surprise more so than a willingness to try that you don't have to always have things figured out before you take the first step. That's been mm-hmm. a really big lesson for me for the past year. Um, and I'm just reaping all the benefits of it. So <laughs> you don't have to have things figured out before you take the first step. You got to trust yourself before the world trusts you. So, yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, okay. When and where are you the happiest? At home on my couch. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. When I, when I'm, when I am connected with the ones I love. So whether it's spending time with my partner or my kids, 
um, or my or my sister-in-law, as I shared before, when I am connected with the, with the ones I love, um, doing things, whether it's outside or at home, that's when I feel uh, the most fulfilled. Yeah. Love it. What's the best advice you've ever received? That I've ever received. That's interesting. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I can't actually think of one. It's because I feel like folks look to me for advice. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm, I, I'm hardly in a position to like get advice from other people and, um, and, ha- and find the right mentors to trust that person to speak into your life. Right. My parents have been wonderful saying, you know what, you can do anything you put your mind to those kinds of things that parents always say to you. Um, and you appreciate it so much. Right. So I think that that's something that, that I hold, I hold dear to. Um, but you know, I, I, I hope to really kind of, Develop those relationships a bit more where you have that person who's been there, done that, pouring into you, that the, you get that aha moment for that word of wisdom that comes your way. Yeah. So I'll come back to that next time we chat. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? Trusting themselves. I just, I, I you know, there is so much power in a woman who trusts herself and her ability to show up in whatever way is most authentic to her. And I think when women do that, it's something to behold. And I just I, I just hope that women will continue to do that and that we continue to cheer them on in exactly the way that they need to be cheered on to continue. So yeah, trust yourself and go for it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Dr. Chrissy, for not only sharing your stories with us, but also your expertise. I feel like you reignited that energy and and love in me that is like so into anything neuroscience and how the brain works and how we function. So thank you. And I definitely have to have you back on because now I have a whole list of other questions I want to (laughs) ask. But I have no doubt that we will stay connected. I just really, really, really appreciate your time and your energy. And I I don't take that lightly. So thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. And I I appreciate the invite and I hope that it's useful to your audience. Oh, it'll be more than useful because I know that I gained so much from it. And I, like I said, I obsess with books about it, but you helped enlighten me on so many other things and um, educated me. So I know that the listeners are going to gain so much from this episode. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And to all of you healers out there until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts about today's episode, your aha moment. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag at dr.krissy.phd and you can tag myself at the real McKinney Smith. A healthy community is a healing community and a healing community is full of hope because it has seen its own people weather, survive, and thrive. So let's continue to heal her.